good morning to you all. Would you join me in prayer as we begin this morning? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, welcome to the fourth Sunday of Advent. Our goal this Advent has been to untangle the Christ hymn that we find in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. Uh, we actually believe, most scholars believe as well, that this is probably the earliest example of a worship hymn that the church has ever used. That the earliest Christians that gathered together would have used this, repeated it over and over. Remember, they didn't have a, a Bible in book form like we do. They would have repeated this over and over again as a way to tell the story of the life of Jesus and his good news, why he's so important. It's a, it's a pretty dense hymn. So to untangle it, as we've been saying, it's sort of like untangling a mess of lights, which I'm sure some of you have done in this season. We've been untangling this sort of week over week. We talked about how God is the firstborn of all creation, the creator of all things. We've talked about how God, through his presence with us, holds all things and sustains all things. We've talked about him as the unifier in our hearts and the unifier in the church. And we've just got a little bit left here, verses 19 and 20 to untangle this week, which is Jesus Christ as our reconciler. So we're going to, for the last time, read this text together. Would you stand? Colossians 1, 15 through 20. You'll see it on the screen. Would you read this with me? He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers. All things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he may come to have first place in everything. And here's our focus here, verses 19 and 20. Say this with me. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. So this is the season when we gather around the manger and we tell the story of Christ's birth. On Friday this week, in the afternoon, we will gather here and hopefully we will have exactly four infants in the manger at uh, our intervals. If you could all coordinate, those of you who have infants, to make sure that that's covered so we don't have like an eight-year-old sitting in the manger like we've had every once in a while. But I'm excited to celebrate this. I'm aware, as we do this every Advent, as we do this every Christmas Eve, 
that this is such a beautiful story, but I'm also aware that we can lose sight so easily of what the gospel of Jesus really is. This draws us back. This season draws us back. We can come to believe many things about Jesus that simply aren't true. Like, we can come to believe that Jesus was a great moral teacher who had some really nice things to say and had a positive impact on our world and history. We can come to believe that God sent Jesus to dwell with us and and to love us because the God of the Old Testament was so mean and vindictive and wrathful that Jesus kind of comes and levels things out for us. We can come to believe that Jesus is great for some people, but not for everybody. We can come to believe that Jesus is one of many ways to God or a higher being. We can come to believe that he's a therapeutic savior who came to make things easy and good for us. We can come to believe that he's an important part of our our family heritage. He's sort of baked into our culture, but he's actually pretty distant from us. We can come to believe that Jesus came here to help us love ourselves just without any change or transformation on our part. We can so easily fall into these skewed or partial understandings of who Jesus is and why he came to earth. This is a season that draws us back. And listen, I, I grew up in the church. I went to every single one of these nativity things. We never missed a Sunday. I heard the gospel in my home. I heard it on Sunday mornings. Um, I had good biblical training. As I look at my own journey, you would look at me and go, this is someone who who should understand really the core of the gospel, right? Of who Jesus is and why he came. But even as I look at my own life, I, I, I can understand how I became confused. I mean, I knew God created me. I knew he sustained me. I knew he was present with me. Was at work through the church? Was at work in my life and my heart? But there was still that that last piece that was tangled up for me. That wasn't clear to me. And what ultimately untangled that knot for me didn't happen until my teenage years. When I came to realize that Jesus didn't come just generically for the world, but he came for me and for you and for you and for all of us not just to teach me new things about himself, not so that I would come to believe something about him, but because I needed a savior. Through my youth group and my mentor, um, I I began to understand that Jesus came because he wanted to forgive me of my sins. And, And I was at an age when I could actually name some of those sins like pride and bitterness and contempt. And I realized I couldn't save myself from those things. Jesus came to forgive to restore me. And when Jesus came in that way in my life, it was sort of like that last strand became untangled. I could see more clearly. I could understand better and live more freely. Now what's communicated in the Christ hymn that we're talking about today, those last two verses, is really why I'm here today. It's why I'm a pastor in the first place. I mean, if Jesus came just to be a great teacher or to show us how to live a good life, or to help us and make things comfortable for us, meet our needs, I wouldn't have given my life to that. I'm here because Jesus, the child that we celebrate in the season, is the great reconciler. Because I know Jesus, I can know God, and that's what gives my life purpose. So I I don't know where you are today in, in your understanding of or your relationship with Jesus, I don't know what sort of false assumptions you bring with you or right assumptions, 
But I do know that God has each and every one of us here today in this moment, in the beauty of this place. And I think it's because he wants to give us, all including me, an opportunity to hear the gospel in its most condensed form yet again, which every single one of us needs. This is the heart of this passage, of this Christ hymn, that the earliest Christian said, this is what we need to repeat over and over again. It's these two verses where Paul gets to the real center of the gospel, what the good news of Jesus really is. And he also, in these two verses, dispels false notions of who Jesus was and why Jesus came. So there are three words in particular in these two verses that are important for our understanding of who Jesus is. They are fullness, pleased, and reconciled. And I want to take those one at a time if I can. First, fullness. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. God sent his son to earth as a child, a child born in a manger. But what we celebrate is that Jesus didn't come just merely as a child. No, in this child we know Jesus, uh, that we know as Jesus, is the fullness of God. The fullness of God. The Colossians uh, had heard this word fullness an awful lot. There was a group uh, called the Gnostics uh, that were in the Lycus Valley where Colossae is located. Um, and they talked, they use this word all the time. The Gnostics, they believed in the separation of body and spirit. So for them, Jesus was human but wasn't God. And they used this word fullness to describe their concept of heaven. This is a really simplistic sort of understanding of Gnosticism. But essentially, there's an almighty God or a supreme being, and then there's humanity. And in between is what they call the fullness, or the, the Greek word for fullness is pleroma. They call it the pleroma. And the Pleroma is filled with lesser gods or aeons. They're immaterial beings who mediate kind of between divinity and humanity. They have a special knowledge. So Christians should be seeking out these lesser gods so that they can sort of ascend through that layer up unto God and to understand him. For a Gnostic, the way that you're saved is through special knowledge, through special understanding. To transcend the body, because the body's bad, and experience the the fullness of these many lesser gods so that you might have a chance to experience some small portion of the supreme being or God. And here Paul, in one verse, dismantles this absolutely and completely, doesn't he? He says, no, the fullness is not a collection of lesser gods. Christ himself is the fullness of God. And this is an exclusive claim as well, right? Because if Christ is the fullness of God, then anything outside of Jesus Christ doesn't lead us to God. So in order to know God, you don't need to seek special knowledge. You don't need to, 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 to seek the guidance of these numerous impersonal beings. No, Christ himself is the fullness of who God is. So when we look at the life of Jesus, we don't need any other special knowledge. All knowledge, what we really need to know is found in him second word was God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in Jesus. In other words, God's motivation for coming to earth in the person of Jesus was not some sort of divine guilt. It was not some sort of insatiable judgment. It wasn't out of anger. No, God was pleased to come in the person of of Jesus. It was an act of love. It was pleasurable for God to do this. We're so often sold on the idea of a vindictive, wrathful 
God who's just bent on judgment. But Paul actually paints the picture of the incarnation, God becoming human. That's an act of love on God's part. He was pleased to put on flesh, to live in human form, to die. He was pleased for the sake of a broken world. So know today that Jesus came for you in the person, uh, God came for you in the person of Jesus, and he was pleased to do so. That was his motivation. Third, this word reconcile. God came to reconcile all things to himself through Jesus. The word reconcile means to, to bring back into harmony or to bring things back to peace. And despite the varied misconceptions of Jesus and why he came, some of which I've already said, Paul's exceedingly clear here. Through the life and death of Jesus, God is reconciling himself to a broken world and most of all, to broken humans. He's making peace in places of conflict. He's bringing wholeness to places that are broken. His job is to reconcile disparate, broken realities in the world. And he came in order to make things right in our world and in our lives. This is the very heart of the gospel of Jesus. If we can get a concept of, of these three words, that the fullness of God is in Jesus, that, that God was pleased, it was a love motivation for which he, he came to human form. And that the reason that he came wasn't just to be a great moral teacher or to make us feel good, but to reconcile all of the world to God. That allows us to understand Jesus rightly in this season. So when you add that last truth of Jesus as our reconciler, we've really officially untangled the Christ hymn. We've got the whole picture, and what a beautiful picture it is of the gospel of Jesus. But I think it's worth asking the question. Some of you are already asking it. Well, if Jesus came as a reconciler, why don't we experience the more reconciled world? A reconciled creation. Why do we still see so much brokenness around us? I mean, if Christ has already come as a peacemaker and reconciler, that's his job description, why does this world continue to bend under the weight of this pandemic that won't seem to go away? Why are so many marriages failing? Why are we seeing the prevalence of worsening mental health, especially in young people? Why do we see so much brokenness in the created world, things like tornadoes in the last couple of years? Why are there so many of us who long for peace who just can't seem to find it? Why does it feel like, if Jesus came this way, why does it feel like the world is getting meaner and more violent and more calloused and more angry instead of more peaceful? I mean, if Jesus really did come as a reconciler, as a peacemaker, it makes us go, can we believe the claims about Jesus when we take a look at the world around us? What are we supposed to do with this tension? Well, I want you to hold on to that question for a moment. I want to go back to Christmas lights, if I can. Um, a little bit about me. I'm a Christmas light purist. I like white lights like this one. I like straw, uh, Swedish ornaments on the tree. Uh, I've converted my wife over many years of, of marriage to exclusively white lights. We used to trade off, but, but it's white lights now. But there is one other kind of Christmas light that is in my heart, too. Anyone remember bubble lights? Remember these? Uh, my grandma's tree was the exact opposite of the tree that's in my house right now. Bright bubble lights, these massive sewn ornaments uh, and, and tinsel. It was straight out of the 1950s. It never changed. She never put anything new on there. It was amazing. 
And she used to have these bubble lights on her tree. And I remember as a kid just being mesmerized by them. I would sit by the tree. I'd watch them bubble up like little lava lamps. I thought they were just the greatest thing. But if you ever had these lights uh, or, or, or you've seen these lights before, you know that they require a little bit of patience. I remember coming to my grandma's house and watching her plug in the, plug in the lights on the tree and wondering why the lights weren't bubbling up. And, and my grandma saying, you have to be patient. Some, it takes a little while, especially for the oil version of these lights. It takes a little while for those to heat up. Just be patient. They were plugged into the power source, right? They were completely untangled. They're illuminating. They're working exactly the way that they're supposed to work. But they still take a little time to warm up. They require some patience. I want to say something that is um, incredibly obvious, but totally profound at the same time. And I pondered this more this year than any other Advent year. God came as a baby. Now, it is certainly significant that God came as a baby in terms of God experienced the fullness of human life from birth to death, right? It's, it's significant that God comes in the form of a baby because a baby is vulnerable, is weak, needs help. It's significant that God came as a baby in terms of attaching himself to the lineage of David through Mary's mother. But that's not really what I'm driving at when I say God came as a baby this morning. God came as a baby, which means that he is totally human in every way, right? He's totally Jesus. He is human as a baby. And he's a whole person. But he's not the finished product that we meet at the end of his life. He is totally the Savior as a baby, but he's also going to grow into being the Savior. He is totally the reconciler as this child, but he has so much time and years ahead of him to do his reconciling work. I think it's obvious to say this because we all experience human life. All of us were a baby at one point. We know what it means to grow up, to grow older. It's obvious, right? But I think it's profound for me because this is almost always how Jesus shows up in my life. In the places that are broken, in the places where I need peace, he he comes with the fullness of God warmly, graciously, as a reconciler, but it rarely, if ever, changes right at his coming. My circumstances don't change right at his coming. Rather, he invites me on a journey of trusting him, of maturing him. The fullness of power is there, but it often takes some time for him or maybe more accurately me with him to really warm up. It requires some patience. Here's one of the reasons why I think that's the case. Jeffrey Bilbro in his brilliant book, Reading the Times, makes a distinction between two different kinds of time in the New Testament, biblical understanding. Um, Two words for it, chronos and kairos. So you have chronos time and kairos time. Chronos time is that quantifiable duration of time, something that's sort of linear and sequential. This is why you showed up today at 10.30 to go to a worship service and why you're thinking about what your lunch is today and where you're going to go the next thing. This is minutes, hours, days, weeks, months, years. That's that kind of time that we mostly live in, right? It's where we get our phrase chronology. But then there's another New Testament kind of time too, and it's called kairos time. And kairos time is what theologians call propitious time, or time that is right, or ripe for a certain act. Think of kairos time as sowing and harvesting, or the changing of seasons. 
or the gestation period of a pregnancy. Now, God primarily operates in kairos time. He operates above and beyond our daily calendars and our schedules. His work is set by the divine schedule, and it doesn't always or often match our schedules that we have, our concept of time. And yet, part of what we celebrate in the season is that the person of Jesus steps into chronos time while still totally operating fully in kairos time. For Jesus, there's absolutely no tension between Kronos and Kairos. There's no conflict in being the savior of the world and being a baby. This makes perfect sense in God's economy. And just as Jesus lived in both Kronos time and Kairos time, those of us who seek to follow him, to live lives modeled after him, we have to learn to do the same. What does it look like for us to try and operate in both Kronos time in Kairos time. Well, for me, there's an obvious example. It's this pandemic as we, year, as we, as we near the two-year mark of this reality. It's really agonizing to think of that, isn't it? Two years, 104 weeks, 700-some some days of this reality? I'm tired of it, like so many of you, probably all of you are. I'm really tired of it being the topic of discussion with people when I meet them. I'm tired of trying to decide whether someone's comfortable with me shaking their hand or not when I see them. I'm tired of stories of illness and loss. As a a pastor, I'm super tired of shifting restrictions, of of people that I love not being able to come to church, of, of not being able to feel like I can plan for the future. But if the fullness of God is found in Jesus, and Jesus was pleased to gift me with his presence, and the presence of God... And Jesus in my life means that he is doing a peacemaking, reconciling, redeeming work. Then it keeps me from despairing as we reach this two-year mark with variants swirling. Instead, I can say, God, you are doing a reconciling work in your time and in your way. The brokenness is clear. You're doing a reconciling work. And I'm excited to follow you earnestly to see the reconciling work that you are up to. God, I see your light, I understand your promises, and I believe, Lord, that you're just warming up. That you're working in ways that are mysterious to me, that do not fit on my my daily planner, but I know that you are doing a good and redeeming work. That's my posture because of Jesus, because of who Jesus is. What about you? What does it mean for you? I was so thankful that Joy had us take the, the, the difficulty in our lives and lift it up to God. That was not planned, by the way. What is that thing that you are waiting on, waiting for the Lord to come and bring peace to? Where do you need to see God as a peacemaker, a redeemer, a reconciler in your life? I'll share a few from this community, obviously no names attached, merely from conversations that I've had in the past couple of weeks. You have a difficult situation at work, and it doesn't seem like there's any clean resolution. You've recently separated from a spouse, and you are lonely, and you wonder uh, what your future is going to be. You're years into needing to forgive somebody, and you have absolutely no idea how to do it. You have a wayward child, and you're concerned about their future. You have a recent health diagnosis that means you're going to have to be more dependent on people which is really, really hard for you. 
you're at a fork in the road in your career, and you're seeking to do God's will, but you have absolutely no idea what God's will is. You're a student, and even though you're, you're trying to put yourself out there, you're struggling to make friends that are a good influence in your life and wondering when God is going to provide a friend for you. You don't feel well physically, and, and, and you're scared. You're, you're wondering if you're ever going to feel well again. You're dealing with the reality of a loved one that's steeped in addiction, and you have no idea how to help them. You deal with a seething anger, and you have no idea how to get rid of it. You're exhausted, and you feel like life is a big hamster wheel, and you don't know how to get off, and you don't know how to rest. I'm sure that you can add your own to that list this morning. But what I want to say is, whatever it is that you bring with you this morning, God wants you to hear this word of hope. The fullness of God is available to you in the person of Jesus Christ. God sees all these things. He knows them. They have not escaped his view. And he sent his son Jesus into this world and to you, not out of duty, not out of coercion, but because of love and compassion, he was so pleased to do this for you. And when God sent his son Jesus into the world to you and to me, he sent him as a peacemaker, a reconciler. And Jesus has made and is making peace. He's reconciling us to God and God to the world. And we know that Jesus is very much at work. It might not fit cleanly on our sense of time. It rarely does. But he is indeed at work. His coming 2,000 years ago was not a one-time occurrence. He continues to come over and over again as reconciler, as peacemaker. The redeeming, peacemaking, reconciling work, it's warming up, my friend. It's warming up. It's plugged in. It's untangled. It's working as it should, and it's going to grow, and it's going to grow. So whatever concept of Jesus you walked in with today, hear this simply. He's good. He's present. He's at work. He loves you. He's making peace. And I'm going to invite you yet again or for the very first time to trust in the work of Jesus the Reconciler. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Lord, we do come today to you, our reconciler, and ask for you to make peace. To mend the places that are broken. To give us patience to see your work in the world. Forgive us for expecting you to, to work in our time when your time is so much greater. And Lord, just as we've already taken the burden that we feel today and, and, and lifted it to you, might we meet you, Lord, in that. Might we see you right for who you are as the fullness of God, as one who is pleased to love us and to care for us.
and to do reconciling work for us and for your world. Lord, we thank you for the light, the light of Christ we celebrate in this season. May we see it exactly how you intended. May we have a deeper understanding of your reconciling work in this world and in our lives, Lord, I pray in your name.